We are in our uh, third week of our sermon series, We the Church, A Call to Devotion. We the Church, A Call to Devotion. Last week, do you remember who we were talking about? What was his name? Anybody remember what was his name we were talking about in the message? Pete, oh, I, I should go to kids' church. Kids, kids' church. Kids, you know, kids, thank you. Sometimes adults check out. Thank you, kids, for being engaged. Um, it's on Peter. I know adults, our brains are full throughout the week. But uh, I'll remind you, we talked on Peter last week, right? Crazy Peter out loud, always sometimes putting his foot in his mouth. And um, we're kind of going to... Um, talk through several uh, another person today but usually when we think of Peter we often think of people like even Paul for for me anyway Paul writes 60% of the New Testament I think we all have a Bible character that comes to mind who is maybe our favorite or someone that stands out uh, so for me it would be Paul maybe because he's just he's this balance of just passion heart sharpness in the mind, yet all out for the Lord. So I, I do love Paul. If I was to ask you what Bible character stands out to you or that you love, Old or New Testament, guy or girl, who would they be? Let me hear from you. Who would they be? Peter, Paul. All right, someone else. Ruth. Oh, good one. David. Who else? John. Esther. What else Baba characters stand out to you that you, you look to or look up to? Moses, Jesus. <clears throat> I think it, it's so true because all throughout the Bible, I think there are these significant characters and people who've played such a significant role. Abraham, Moses, Peter, Ruth, Esther, Deborah, John, Paul, Peter. And we at times get sometimes fixated on these people who've made such a big name for themselves. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can miss the people who behind the scenes made things possible for those to be up front. Myself included, me standing up here on this platform, don't ever think for a moment it's about me or what I can do. There are many other people that make our service possible. And in, in truth, today we're going to talk about uh, the life of Barnabas. Barnabas. And uh, we're going to talk about Barnabas. And I think he's an a, a interesting person that I think is great to study because I think it gives a good balance. Because sometimes people are seeking the spotlight, seeking things to get a microphone and a platform. And in truth, Barnabas is one of the most influential people that we overlook in the Bible. So we're talking about Barnabas. His original name was Joseph, but the apostles give him this name, son of encouragement, son of encouragement, because he was such a, a helper and an encouragement to the apostles and to the early church. The Greek word translated comforter or counselor, which is used for the Holy Spirit, would be paraclete, parakletos, this Greek word that talks about the Holy Spirit, which comes alongside of us. He's an aid, a comforter, an ever-present help in times of trouble. How many of you have ever been comforted by the Holy Spirit, right, where he comes alongside you? He's a helper that's ever-present and there. And I think it's interesting that the apostles give this name to Barnabas that was very similar, this paraclete, to what the Holy Spirit's name is, someone who comes alongside 
comes alongside of them and is a helper. An argument could be made about the life of Barnabas and his impact that if there was no Barnabas, there may have been no Paul to write 60% of the New Testament. If there was no Barnabas, there may not have been a John Mark who, Mark who writes the Gospel of Mark. title of my message today is Devoted to Encouragement. Devoted to Encouragement. I'm going to give you three areas about Barnabas' life uh, and how he encouraged the church and others around him. And we'll kind of unpack the three areas of Barnabas' life. First thing we will talk about is he encouraged him with his wallet. With his wallet. I know it gets awfully quiet when we talk about money and church. And sometimes there's this bad stigma and this idea that we shouldn't be talking about money, or maybe because there's been mishandlings and abuse about it, that it comes with it. So we'll talk about um, what happened there, and we'll, we'll talk a, a little bit about um, money. For me, growing up in the church, if I could be really honest, um, I always struggled with giving. Uh, growing up, we grew up in this church here uh, from the age of 12. I got saved here and grew up, and this church was probably one of the most generous churches that uh, you ever met. Talk about sacrificially giving. Over and over again, we watched the church, even as a teenager. I remember where um, those of you who um, came here for a long time, we were buying seven acres in Paradise Park because we thought that's where we are going to build the church and we are going to raise $120,000 on a Tuesday night. And uh, in my mind, I'm a young teenager. I said, this is crazy. Like, there ain't no way, like, like, we don't have a whole lot of money here. And and that night, I'll never forget it, it we raised $120,000 to purchase the seven acres for what we thought at the time was the church's property. And, and our church was very generous and radical in their giving. When there was a need, the church responded. And oftentimes, if I'll uh, be honest with you, I got to the place where I would just leave my wallet in the car. Maybe, maybe you don't identify with me. That means you don't struggle with, with money and God has your money. They say oftentimes the last place to surrender to God is with your wallet. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And, and as a teenager growing up, man, our church, would every, every time I felt like I had money in my wallet, they take up a special offering. And I'd be like, I feel like the Lord said, give it. I'd be like, next time I'm leaving my wallet in the car. I'm going to be one step ahead of you, Lord. I will leave my wallet in the car. I'll never forget. Sometimes, um, you know, they take up an offering. And my mom used to always says, pray, ask the Holy Spirit what, what to give, and you give whatever he tells you to. And usually it's the first number that he tells you to give. And I'm like, I don't like that. And so I wouldn't pray, right, because I wouldn't pray, especially giving, because usually the number it would give would be the number that I wouldn't want to hear. I'll never forget there was a couple times where the Holy Spirit was like, Go back in the car and go get your wallet and your checkbook. Oh, man, really? Go back there, get it, bring it back in. Because it's this place of surrender that the Lord is trying to get access because, in truth, we're not owners. We're called to be stewards. And the moment we start confusing ownership with stewardship, it's going to get us into trouble. So let's read Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37, and what was happening in the early church. Verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned 
was not their own, so they shared everything they had. They are stewards and not owners. Verse 33. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon all of them. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them. They would bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one to the apostles named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So I want you to catch that picture. Uh, Barnabas sells this piece of property and brings it to the church. And, and, and for me, anyway, I, when I read the story, I'm just, I'm full of questions. Like, there are a lot of questions that go through my mind. Like, my mind says, why did Barnabas sell it? Why is he selling this property? And in truth, when you look at the life of Barnabas, He's probably at the time so inspired and been impacted by the ministry of Peter. Peter, who, as you guys know, on the day of Pentecost, gets up and he preaches and 3,000 comes to faith in Christ. And I'm sure Barnabas is there at the time when and the apostles are laying hands on the people and they're getting healed and there's miracles happening. And, I, and it's not said in Scripture, but I do believe that the Holy Spirit is working in Barnabas's heart. He's working in Barnabas's heart and life. He's struggling. He's seeing that the church at the time, because they went uh, immediately to 3,000 people. Imagine this, our church, if we went overnight, this week to next week, 3,000. How many of you know that there would be great need in this church? Where there is people, there also is blessing and problems there is problems that come with it too right because there's needs people have needs it could be spiritual needs physical needs uh counseling emotional needs whatever needs are there and 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 barnabas is watching the church grow by three thousand, and the great need that's present but i think what's sparking barnabas's heart as he's watching this unfold He's watching people leave their jobs and devote themselves full-time to preaching the gospel and to ministry full-time. Meanwhile, those people who are devoting themselves to preaching are not be able to make ends meet, but they're watching the church rapidly begin to grow. And Barnabas's heart is beginning to see the need that the church is growing, the gospel is being spread, his life is being impacted, yet those who are preaching have a need, and the people who they're reaching have a need, and he responds in like manner. Barnabas prays, he seeks the Holy Spirit, and he obeys. It's what would seem pretty simple. Yet, at the same time, if you dive back into this day and age, property that was given to you by your family would almost never be sold to anyone it was passed down in your family from one family to the next family to the next family and oftentimes uh you would have a cemetery or a burial plot there that your family was buried so you would never have sold that property you would be giving it to your children well we kind of have that uh, now my grandparents are from kohala and uh, on my dad's side, we have this property that after my grandma and grandpa passed away, it passed on to the kids and grandkids. And so we all went up there, we cleaned the place, and we all agreed to say, 
we're going to keep this property to be able to come back to this place and be able to come back. And for me, anyway, when we go back to Kohala, the north side of the island, uh, that place is filled with nothing but memories of hard work and labor. <laughs> my grandma was um, pure Hawaiian, full-blooded Hawaiian. My grandfather was full-blooded Japanese. They shouldn't have been together, but my grandfather was Kalohe. Anyway, they, they got together, and they had this little four-acre parcel, and they grew trees of every sort, fruit trees, vegetables, and every time we went there, supposed to be vacation time, but at my grandma and grandpa's house, it was work time. We were always in the yard. And so we would tell us, grandkids would say, Grandma, we want soda, right? Can you go buy soda when we go to the store? I have never seen them drink any juice from the store or soda. If you wanted something to drink, she would tell you, go outside on the tree and go pick it, and we're going to squeeze it. It was nothing but freshly squeezed juices, whatever was in season. Guavas was going, go pick guavas. Tangerines, oranges, lemons, you name it, right? We work the land, and for us, when we go back there, it is part of our heritage and history. And um, we determine, as our family says, we're not going to sell it. We're going to pass this on. And this is kind of what Barnabas and their family was like. Um, and, and in truth, our family, at the top plot, there is a cemetery on there, and our family is buried there, which was kind of weird growing up at my grandma's house, right, because Kohala winds blow, and our cousin, the older cousins, always tease us, oh, that's uncle from the cemetery coming visit us at night, right? The spooks, the stories, and you hear the wind, ooh, blowing through the jealousies, right? Oh, it's auntie from the cemetery coming visit us. So it's kind of weird. Anyway, we would never sell that place because our, our family's buried there, right? So even Barnabas. Why would he sell this piece of property if it was passed down from one generation to the next? Except that maybe what he's witnessing with the church growing and what the Holy Spirit is doing in his heart, that he's willing to let go and part things that he may hold dear, he's willing to let those things go for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. He's willing to let those things go. What you need to keep in mind is that things were not forced. I'm going to give you three different um, arguments. If, if, if you hear it today, uh, we talk about socialism, right? And you hear people talking about socialism. And I want to give some understanding and some balance, three things, because they'll often use this scripture where they're selling things in the church. They say, oh, churches like is socialist government. Like, I'm going to give you three reasons why we're not, some biblical understanding to kind of give some balance to um, what the church and what what God called us to biblically. Uh, number one, I'll bring some clarity. Number one, the sharing was voluntary and not forced. The early church, all what was given was not forced, was not mandated, not manipulated. They simply prayed, they asked the Holy Spirit, and the people responded in like manner to what the Holy Spirit put in their hearts. And that's, that's very key, right? Socialist government, different. Like, everything you have is owned by socialism, right? Number two, it didn't involve all private property, but only as much as was needed, not everything. There was a need in the church. They may have, Barnabas probably came from a wealthy family. Maybe he had other properties. 
And the church wasn't saying sell everything that you have and give it all to the church. And I want to bring some understanding because growing up, that's what I had in mind too. Like everything that I have, I need to just sell it and give it all to the church. And if that's what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do, by all means, okay, we won't deny that or turn that down. But know that we're not manipulating or forcing anybody to do that. And I say that to say it's not crazy because growing up, I had such a love, passion, and heart for God's kingdom. Even when we had our house in Kalmana City, I told my wife, man, I just so love the church and I've watched what God has done to restore our family. I want to sell our home, build a little place in the church. I'll just maintain the church and be the little maintenance man and take care of the church because I just so love the church, right? So if that's what the Holy Spirit's heart leading on your heart, do it. We're not manipulating you and telling you what to do, okay? Number three, why we're not a socialist government here in the church, giving up your property was not a requirement in order to be part of that early church, right? No one was saying, all what you have, sell it and bring it. That's not what it was saying at all. You pray, you listen to the Holy Spirit, and whatever he's telling you, you obey that and respond in like manner. Does that make sense? I just wanted to bring a little balance to that. Uh, Bar Barnabas is a positive example of what it was like with someone being generous with their wallet. If you read chapter 5, you'll see Ananias and Sapphira, and God uses their life as someone, not a positive example of generosity, but a negative example. And here they were, Barnabas's life, I, I truly believe looking at the life of Barnabas, he was like not somebody who gave the property to say, hey, look what I gave but the apostles use Barnabas and his heart to serve to say, man, we're going to take this act of generosity and share it with the people that what God has done to be able to provide for the people. And I believe Ananias and Sapphira saw that it was like, oh, man, look at everybody looking at Barnabas. Man, why don't we sell our property and why don't we give our stuff too so that we'll get called up too. And we'll get recognition. I think what's crazy is when you look at that, right, like if you don't know the story, read it, Acts chapter 5. They sell the property, Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife. They don't give all the money. But the key part is they lied. I think that really is the key part. Because if they, if they had said to the apostles, hey, we sold our property, but we had to take care of some things. But this is what we have to give. I think it would be a total different story. But they were giving with a different intention. There's a positive and a negative to generosity. So be encouragement to others with your wallet. That's what Barnabas was. He encouraged with his wallet. It sparked generosity all throughout the church because of one act of generosity. Number two, Barnabas encouraged with his words. His words. How did he encourage with his words? Turn to Acts chapter 9 verse 27. Acts 9 27. Barnabas stood up for Paul with his words. Then Barnabas brought to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Acts 9, 27. So let's paint a little bigger picture. Remember Paul, before he was converted uh, uh, to Christianity to follow the Lord, his name was Saul, and he was killing and persecuting Christians, thinking he was doing God a favor and doing right. All with the 
feeling like he had the right intentions that he was stopping these, trying to stop these Christians. And Paul is there and he has an encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus. He gets blinded. He, he goes away as they have met the place. Ananias, the Lord, speaks to him. He goes there, lays his hands on Paul, saw the scales fall off his eyes. His eyes are open. And it says there in the scripture that Paul immediately, he name is changed from Saul to Paul. He begins immediately preaching. So now get this picture. Imagine you knew somebody who was persecuting you and your entire family and killing some of your family. Then the following week, they show up at church and they're like, hey, guess what? I got a message to preach to you today. How many of you would be eager to listen to Paul? Not so much. Not so much. So Paul is preaching in Damascus, and people are getting saved, but it's not just the, the Jews. It's the Gentiles who are starting to get saved. And what's happening here is he gets sent from Damascus, and he goes to Jerusalem, comes back to the church, the place that should be loving and accepting, and they're like, Paul, uh, we don't want you in the church. Um, we know about you. The church had pegged Paul for his past, and therefore, no one was willing to step up and acknowledge and verify and stand and vouch for him because something had happened. No one was willing to step up and speak for him. And I think oftentimes, honestly, if we're not careful, in the church today, that still happens. People show up to church and the, and the church goes, mm, you here? You back? Oh I, oh, I thought you were doing other things last week. Wasn't, didn't I just see you last night doing that thing and then you in church today? I know this is good, okay, because this is real. Uh, come on now, can we be honest and real, right? And people get judgmental in the church, right? They say, I remember what they was like. I remember what they did, and like Paul, they peg him for his past. Why do I love Barnabas? Barnabas sticks his neck on the line. Barnabas was the leader of the church for almost 20 years before Paul ever shows up on the scene. He has such a following and such an influence that He's willing to stick his neck on the line to say, hey, guys, listen, listen. I know last week he was killing people. He just authorized the, the stoning of Stephen. But it's genuine. He had an encounter with the Lord. People are getting saved. We should accept them in this church. Barnabas, the encourager, steps up and speaks for Paul and vouches for him to say, guys, I will vouch for him. Not just vouch for him. I'm willing to walk with him. There's ever a time in a day and age we need people like Barnabas in the church. It's today. Because people come with their past filled with all kinds of things. And we need Barnabases in the church. Says, I know you may think one way of this person, but let me tell you there's something different about them. God's at work. There's something that happened last week. And God is at work in their life. Give them a chance. I'm willing to walk with them. We need to be able to give people chances. It's not about you, but I messed up. I should not be pastoring this church because I know I've messed up.
too many times in this church, okay? I was branded that person, but not for Paul for preaching for other things in the church. We're not going to go there today, okay? We got to stand up for other people and risk our reputation by speaking up for others. That's what Barnabas did for Paul. Number two, Barnabas used his words to encourage reconciliation, Barnabas used his words to encourage reconciliation. Flip over to Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. Acts 15, 36 to 41. There's only 30 verses in the Bible that Barnabas is mentioned. So we're going to kind of pull out some of these verses. Acts 15, 36 to 41. After some time, Paul and Barnabas, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated Barnabas and Barnabas took John Mark and sailed for Cyprus while Paul chose Silas and left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria, Cilia, strengthening the churches there. So what's happening in this story? This is now their second missionary journey. So we got to rewind a second. And what should be considered as Paul's missionary journey, right? Paul went on what we know as three missionary journeys. His first missionary journey was with Barnabas, and really, it probably shouldn't even be called Paul's missionary journey, and it should be called Barnabas' missionary journey, and here's why. When you read the passages of Scripture, oftentimes, uh, in the beginning, it says Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, and what it was kind of saying, what the writer is beginning to say as he writes out, which is Dr. Luke writing the book of Acts, what he's saying is that Barnabas, who's been 20 years as the leader, it's his missionary journey, and Paul is his apprentice. So I want you to catch this picture now, because we're going to paint a bigger picture. We always see Paul, but we miss Barnabas and his influential role. Barnabas is the one who's saying, come on, Paul, come with me. You're going to be my assistant. We're going to go on this journey. So what happens here? He encourages reconciliation. On their first journey, they're going on this journey, and, and um, Barnabas tells Paul, hey, you know what? We're going to bring along John Mark on this journey. What I love about Barnabas, he's a guy who always sees the situation glass half full. He's like a forever optimist, okay? He's like, Let's take John Mark with us. Paul's his apprentice. Paul says, oh, okay, let's go. Let's take him. So John Mark, Mark is the writer of the Gospel of Mark, right? The three of them go on this journey. Halfway through the journey, the Bible doesn't tell us what happens, but somewhere through there, Mark gets cold feet. He chickens out. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm going back home. And Paul the apprentice is like, look at this guy going home. Now, catch this picture, some time have passed, they've planted these churches. Paul says, this is interesting because now it's switched on the second missionary journey. It says Paul and Barnabas because somewhere along the journey, this role begins to change and now Paul begins to lead and Barnabas begins to step back. And so what I love about Barnabas is Barnabas 
turns to Paul. Paul's leading the second missionary. He says, hey, Paul, guess what? I have a great idea. And Paul's like, what? He goes, let's bring John Mark on our second missionary journey. How many of you who kind of know Paul a little? Paul's like, that little guy, that little sellout, that little pipsqueak who walked out on us last year. And, 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 and I love Barnabas. You got to catch Barnabas. Barnabas is like, yeah, we should take him. Nah, I think he's ready. I think he's ready, Paul. Let's take John Mark with us on this journey. And Paul disagrees strongly. Now Paul is leading. There's this switch of roles. Paul's leading. Paul's like, no, we are not taking John Mark. What could have been a moment, I believe, of this hard break in relationship, Barnabas is so secure in his leadership and so understanding that he knows how to reconcile things with his words. And what does he tell Paul? He says, you know what, Paul? Okay, cool. I really do feel like John Mark is supposed to come. But you know what? Why don't you just take Silas? You and Silas go. You guys know the story, Paul and Silas in the jail. You guys go this way. I'll take John Mark, and we'll go this way. I can just see Barnabas like, imagine this, Paul. Instead of one missionary journey, it's like we're doing two mission journeys at the same time. You take Silas, I'll take John Mark, we'll go this way. Imagine what that was like for John Mark when the head leader of the church tells Paul, look, Let's take him. And Paul's like, no, I don't need him. Because Paul's just this rough and t- around the edges guy. And Barnabas says, look, go that way. Don't worry, Barnabas. Come on, let's go. You're with me. Right? Can you see Barnabas taking John Mark under his wing and begins to mentor him, speak to him, encourage him? Hey, and I'm sure John Mark, we don't see this in Scripture, but I'm sure John Mark told this to Barnabas. Why did you do that? Why did, why did you come with me? I messed up the last trip. You should have went on with Paul. And you catch a glimpse of Barnabas's encouragement, son of encouragement, and he's so secure. He's like, don't worry about Paul. Paul's got Silas, and I got you. Come on, let's go. And he's encouraging. And what could have been a catastrophic moment for John Mark becomes a discipleship moment where Barnabas walks now this journey and says, hey, John, Mark, look at those people there. Why don't we share about Jesus? Come on, let's go. And he talks along this journey. What you need to understand is when I talk about Barnabas as the son of the encouragement, Mark was the writer, the first gospel to ever be written. Matthew is being influenced by Mark, but Mark is being influenced by Barnabas. And I think on this journey, he's like, Mark, don't worry. One day, God's going to use you. He's going to speak to you. In fact, we need to write these things down. When we get back, I want you to start penning these things. And and don't worry, I'm going to help you do these things. And, And he's willing to pour in to John Mark all the while with his words. And what could have been a break in that relationship, he's like, don't worry, we're going to pray for Paul and Silas. We need in the church today people who are encouragers. Encouragers, amen? 
if you don't got someone who encourages you, um, well, maybe you need to get more friends or maybe you need to be that one who encourages other people. So he encourages Paul with his words. He encourages reconciliation. But Barnabas boldly evangelizes and preaches also with his words. Acts 15, verse 44 to 46. Let's continue reading. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you've rejected it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to Gentiles. What was Barnabas saying? They're first reaching out to the Jews, right? And it goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And as they further out they get, they're starting to reach Gentiles now. And there's this conflict happening, and the Jews are like, man, like, what's the deal? And Barnabas is like, it's okay. If you guys don't want to receive the good news, the good news will continue on to those who want to receive it. And this is what I kind of got as I read it. Nothing stopped Barnabas and Paul from preaching the gospel. When one door closed and somebody, you may be having somebody in your life who doesn't want to hear the God. Our job is to plant, water, and trust God to bring about the harvest and the increase. Sometimes we want to take it into our own, own hands and manipulate the outcome. But what we're in charge of is planting and watering. Planting and watering. Like Barnabas and Paul, we plant, we water to the Jews, but if you're not ready, we're moving on. Let me tell you about Jesus and what he's done for us. My life was a mess. I had no hope, no purpose. He's died for your sins and my sins. Let me tell you about the good news. They went on preaching. Nothing stopped them from preaching. Can I encourage you? If there's ever a time, the time is short. The time is short. He's coming back for his people. He is coming back. Just look around and see the signs of the times of things going on. He's coming back. If there's ever a time you need to share, the preach the gospel of planting and watering, it's now. Share it. If they don't receive it, it's not your loss. It's their loss. Plant, water, move on. Plant, water, move on. Move on. Plant, water, move on. God will bring about the harvest. Amen? Number three, wisdom. Talked about how he encouraged them with their wallet, with his words, but then with his wisdom. Barnabas had wisdom to know when to lead and when to follow. He knew when to lead and when to follow. Acts chapter 13, verse 43. Acts 13, verse 43. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. And the two men urged them to continue to rely on God's grace. Remember what I told you earlier? Barnabas, 20 years um, in ministry ahead of Paul leading the church, doing an awesome job. And earlier, the first missionary journey should be called Barnabas's missionary journey. And we see Barnabas and Paul, and Barnabas is like, come on, Paul, let's go. And then, second missionary journey, we see it flip, right? And it says, Paul and Barnabas. And there's this switch and change in leadership. 
A great wise leader knows when to lead and they also know when to follow. Barnabas is such a wise leader and, and I think what destroys, because I see this also in the church today, if there's anything that destroys the church today, it's insecurity in leadership who feel like they got to know everything, lead everything, but there are times, even in leadership, that you let someone else lead and you learn to follow. That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we're working together as one team. It's not just, if I could say it this way, a great leader knows when to speak, a great leader knows when to shut up. Just because you're speaking doesn't mean you're leading. Barnabas knew when to keep his mouth shut. I can guarantee you, Paul, maybe in his mind, young, new Christian, he's like, oh, we leading this journey, second journey. Barnabas is behind him, he's like, yeah, you're right, Paul. You got this. You got, can you see Barnabas? He's like, Paul, you got this. Come on, I believe in you. I'm praying for you. Paul makes his stand in the line. This is it, Barnabas. We're not taking John Mark. That's it. Barnabas knows when to speak, knows when to shut up, knows when to follow, knows when to lead. He's wise. Barnabas had the wisdom to encourage unity. Barnabas had the wisdom to encourage unity. Acts 15, verses 1 to 2. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them and argued vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. So what's going on here in this thing? Barnabas has such wisdom, he not just knows how to reconcile things, he also knows how to bring things together and encourage unity. What was happening is Gentiles were being saved at the church in Antioch. So get this picture now. Jerusalem, the church is started. Uh, day of Pentecost, 3,000 saved. They come to faith in Christ. The first church to be planted is the church of Antioch. Who do they decide to send out to be that person to plant this church and help lead this church at Antioch? Nobody else but Barnabas. Barnabas is here, and when there's this, this rift that arises to say, can Gentiles really be saved? They say, you know what, why don't Paul and Barnabas, you go back to the church in Jerusalem. And then this is where, you look, read church history, where there's the council, right? There's all different councils where they're arguing or, or trying to find out church doctrine. Council of Jerusalem, Council of Nicaea uh, in 320 AD. All these different councils are happening. And, and what's happening is they go back to Jerusalem and they're beginning to find out what is the doctrinal truth, whether Gentiles are allowed in or not. And they come to find out and says, yes. If the Jews, this gospel doesn't get out, then make room for the Gentiles also. Barnabas understood the gospel was not just for the Jews. He had wisdom to fight for the unity of the church. Do you know that it's all of our roles as we come together in the body of Christ to fight for the unity of this church? 
It's not just the pastors. And I, I have to say that probably the number one thing and the hardest, most challenging thing in the last five years since he came back as pastor of this church is fighting for the unity of the church. Fighting for the unity of the church. When there's gossip, I will fight for the unity of the church. When there are things happening that are not right, I will fight for the unity of the church. Do you know that though it's not just the pastor's job to fight for the unity of the church? It's every single person who belongs to the church. You have a voice. You matter. This is just as much your church as it is my church. And we're to fight together for the unity of the church. So when you hear somebody talking up and saying things that don't belong, it says, uh, I don't think so. That's not true. And if you got a problem, I want you to go directly to them and go talk to them. If you got a problem, why don't you go take that directly to the pastor, right? Because we're going to fight for the unity of the church. Consistently over the years, it's been division that's torn apart the church. We there? Okay. Just checking. I'm going to land this plane. Promise. Okay. Barnabas had wisdom to encourage imitation. Barnabas had wisdom to encourage imitation. What do I mean? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, that you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Where did Paul, who did Paul learn to imitate for him to even write those words? I believe, we have the worship team, come on, as I close. I believe on the journey when they're walking in the first missionary journey, Barnabas is, is here telling Paul, his apprentice, Paul, follow me. One day, Paul, God's going to use you. I'm not going to be leading. You're going to be leading. God's going to use your words. He's going to use your sharp mind. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul. Let's go. And he's following Right? And Paul is right there on his heels. Paul, don't worry. One day, it's not going to be me leading. You're going to do it. I believe in you. I'm going to be behind you praying for you. Follow me as I follow Christ. I can hear those words of Barnabas because he's such an encourager. He impacts the life of Paul when no one else stood up for Paul. Barnabas stands up for Paul. And I think... Paul is writing that because Paul has walked the journey of following someone else. One commentator said this, that Barnabas may have been the author of the book of Hebrews. I thought this was fascinating. I was like, are you sure? I had to check and look because no one really knows who the author of the book of Hebrews is. Who is it? It's, it's all about the great hall of faith of Abraham and, and Isaac and all those who went before us. And, and when you start looking at Hebrews, it had to have been written by a person who had a great grasp of their faith and whose life wasn't filled with insecurities. Barnabas knew when to lead, but because he wasn't full of insecurities, he says, come on, Paul, it's your turn now. Come on, let's go. Let's go. It's your turn. I truly believe this. Insecurities in the church can kill a church faster than almost anything else. 
especially insecurities in leadership. It's true in business. It's true in organizations. Insecurities. I believe Barnabas was so secure in his walk with God. So secure. I want to read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And picture the life of Barnabas. I don't know for sure if he's definitely the author, but when I read it, I'm like, I can kind of see Barnabas. So listen to this verse, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded with such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set out before us. If there's anybody I think who knew how to strip down, it was Barnabas. Property, Holy Spirit, I heard you speak already. Here you go. What is it? You gifting, calling. Here you go. I, I don't even need any book named after me, Lord. I just want to be obedient to you, Lord, how whatever you're calling me to. I set those things aside. Lord, I'm just running this race. Nothing will hold me back. I just want to fulfill the call of God on my life and what you have for me. I can see Barnabas writing Hebrews. Back to my title. Barnabas was devoted to encouragement. Not everyone can be a David. Not everyone can be a Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, Ruth, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, John, Paul, Peter. There are great people. Don't get me wrong. But in the church today, everyone can be a Barnabas. Everyone can be a Barnabas. As I was studying and preparing for this message, I couldn't help but reflect over my own life and say, God, I had never got here on my own. I had people speaking into me when I never saw it in me myself. When I didn't see it and I was discouraged, when Lacey and I left and to answer the call of God to, to go um, to Bible college and when we were on the journey and discouraged that did we make a mistake, we don't even have money to pay our bills, how are we going to do these things? And, and God would send somebody to write us a check to bless us. And, and can I say that I saw my life, that there have been Barnabases in my life that have blessed me along the way. This church has been like a Barnabas to Laisha and I. Prayed for us. Financially, when we didn't have anything, this church would pack up boxes of food and send it up to us while we're in college. The youth group would raise up like $40, $60 and put it in an envelope and mail it to us and we didn't even have money. We'd open that thing. It was like gold. When our hearts were discouraged, it took someone speaking courage into us. I'll never forget, we, we had a car, and, and the church we had to drive to and assigned to was about 42 miles away. And we were broke college students. We left it all to go there. And, and on this journey, it always says, we heard the Lord, we obeyed. And yes, along this journey, as I look at this message, Man, there have been Barnabases who have so spoken into us. 
There's times on this journey, Lacia and I have wanted to throw the towel in and quit. And people came alongside, says, don't quit. You keep going. We believe in you. While discouraged, someone was speaking courage. Sometimes we wouldn't even have enough gas just to make it to church 42 miles. And we would take the college students in our car and we would tell them, all right, we're praying because we don't know, one, if we'll make it to church. We know for sure we won't make it home on the tank of gas that we got. So he kept our faith high. And the ride was absolutely exciting because we didn't know where things were going to end. And we would get to church. I'll never forget. I said, Lord, feeling discouraged at times. I said, Lord, you called us here, but I don't see you in the midst of this. How do you call me here when I can't even have money to put gas in my car to get home from church? And can I tell you, Sunday after Sunday, God would send somebody. There was a guy named Paul in the church who would find me after, and he would shake my head. I could feel the money in his hand, he says, God told me to bless you with this today. Numerous of times he'd done that. I remember this one particular time. Nothing happened at church, and I knew for a fact we weren't going to get home this day. And all the college students were in the car. They are laughing and joking. I got to the car. I was about to jump in. I was like, Lord, be with us because I don't know where we're going to end up today. And I saw somebody walk out of the church door. He says, Dion like hey came up to me it was Paul I was looking for you in there put it I, I felt the money in his hand I broke down crying and it could have been for me a million dollars in that moment because when you're discouraged it's little acts of encouragement that breathe life into you and in truth encouragement is literally like someone coming alongside and breathing or speaking into you. This is why also Barnabas was not just called son of encouragement. At times he was called son of the prophet or someone who speaks or breathes life into other people. Puts a whole new picture of Barnabas. Why he could walk alongside John Mark on the way home and say, John Mark, don't you quit. I see the best in you. He's prophetically speaking over John Mark's life that forever alters his future. I'm grateful for the many Barnabases in my life who've encouraged Lacia and I on this journey. Every one of us can be a Barnabas. Amen. Why don't we all stand as we close? You can encourage someone this week with your words, with your wallet, or with wisdom in some way.